Alrighty, welcome to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim and I are now veterans of the internet outage of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we'll always be, we'll have stories to tell, <laughs> rushing into cafes... <laughs> running up and down the main street looking yeah. for Wi-Fi signals and yeah. I mean it, it will go down as, as famously delaying our recording of this episode because you can't watch stuff on on streaming when there's no when nothing is streaming uh, because there's no internet and to think that they laughed at me still buying physical media in the year yeah. 2022 I was I was watching movies not this movie on Friday night but I was watching movies on Friday night because I I still have discs so right there. on I was, yeah I was playing CDs nice I was playing like audio music on a CD so nice and somebody's like hey you got Spotify you're like no it's called a CD <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm listening to it from track one all the way to the end that's right yeah. no shuffle anyway no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the playlist is on the back of the seat anyway enough <laughs> jokes uh end credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we're here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new metatextual action comedy the unbearable weight of massive talent which you can now stream on a video on demand site Assuming your internet's working, of course, but uh, the, the, the internet is back, or at least uh, should be more or less universally true is, uh, as this episode comes out. Hopefully. But hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. the, the duct tape holds up anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're, we're talking about this movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is essentially... Uh, a Nick Cage movie about Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. And we, uh, for obvious reasons, um, thought it would be fun to revisit other Nicolas Cage performances. Uh, and there are a lot of them. He has been very prolific in the last several years um, doing all sorts of movies. A lot of them pretty good. Like he had this kind of goofy phase Um at the you know around i guess it was around the economic crash and when, when he uh allegedly lost a lot of money he was he suddenly became less picky um but i guess since he's managed to recover that um he he has become actually a little bit more discerning although there is still things like the humanity bureau which is a movie that came out in 2018 um that nobody is that will probably not come up on this list um <laughs> my number one humanity bureau, <laughs> humanity no, bureau. I, don't I don't even know what that is <laughs> uh i i i i think if you go up to nicholas cage and say i have a question about the humanity bureau bureau he'd go what um <laughs> but yeah so he does he is in this weird period where he is uh has some I guess you could call them movies he's doing for pay and then movies he's doing for art. So uh, I'm not sure where the unbearable weight of massive talent fits into that, but we are going to talk about uh, three of our favorite Nick Cage performances. So Tim, uh, it, it, it is, it is such a, it is such a full bounty 
of 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 choices so i'm interested to know what's your number one or number three wherever you want to start yeah it is a full bounty so i have cheated a little bit Mm -hmm. i have a tie for third Mm -hmm. but i'll yield some time on the second movie because i don't i think it's a (laughs) great the second movie is a great movie but i just don't have as much to say about it Mm -hmm. um but tied for third i have two early ones so Mm -hmm. first one is moonstruck Mm -hmm. um from 1987 which was really a breakout role for him he had gotten some attention in the early the mid 80s start of his career Mm -hmm. changed his name from coppola um from nick coppola to nicholas cage uh because he was teased i guess on fast times at ridgemont high on the set Mm -hmm. people saying that they love the smell of nick in the morning so (laughs) (laughs) so he cut that out and uh Moonstruck, very interesting role. He plays um, the love interest of Cher, the lead in it, who plays Loretta. Mm-hmm. And his character's name, Ronnie Camilleri, um, is just this really crazy, passionate baker. Um, and apparently, the studio heads wanted Peter Gallagher for the role. Mm, and um, Nicolas Cage did a screen test, and the studio heads still didn't want him they wanted peter gallagher but Cher um had the foresight to say nobody could play crazy as realistically as nick cage mm-hmm. so she said she wasn't going to do the movie with anyone else because he could play crazy better than anyone and it's really like a breakthrough role as i mentioned because you see that start of just that crazy passionate energy and it works well with the movie because the movie is very operatic. Um, there's a scene where he says to um, Loretta Cher's character, after they've made love the night before, he says, I won't bother you anymore because he's the brother of her fiance. Mm-hmm. And so it's an affair. And he goes, I won't bother you anymore. Just on one condition, you go to the Met Opera with me and see La Boheme. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> They, they, um, Cher is like, is saying she wants nothing to do with them. Loretta saying she wants nothing to do with them. Um, she goes, she goes to the church to, uh, you know, to repent for her sins, for the adultery. But then she goes out, she buys this great evening gown. Um, she gets her hair done and then she goes out with, uh, Ronnie to the opera. And I think that's where they truly fall in love. And it's, very over the top, but it works so well. Uh, like I said, because everything's so heightened. Mm-hmm. It's this Italian family who fights. Even when they fight, they fight with love kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a really great breakthrough performance for him. And he plays this guy. He only has one arm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he says it's because of an accident that his brother Johnny caused. And Johnny's played by Danny Aiello. Um, in a great performance just before his real, you know, his, his pivotal performance and do the right thing. A couple of years earlier, he plays a sort of nebish guy and, and, uh, Ronnie blames Johnny for this mishap and Cher goes, no, it's the wolf in you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the wolf. You cut off your own arm to get out of an engagement. It, it's, it's the wolf in you. So it's, it's a terrific movie and it, it was much acclaimed at the time, um, won a bunch of Oscars, Cher won an Oscar, Olympia Dukakis says Cher's mother won an Oscar. 
and the screenplay won an Oscar, but I thought Nicolas Cage is excellent in it. And he really is the center of the craziness in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, a great film, 1987. And then there, another one, one also same time period that I have mm-hmm. tied for third. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's in all the memes you see about <laughs> him is Vampire's Kiss. Yep. Which I think is insane movie that I think didn't really get a lot of credit when it came out. Everyone said, oh, it's way over the top, his acting. Uh, but it was much misunderstood because what he said he was going for was um, silent actors mm-hmm. like the cab- cabinet of Dr. Caligari and uh, Nosferatu. <laughs> so he's going for that. So he was doing it was intentional what he was doing. And it's just so entertaining. Like he's playing it so theatrically, which you don't see in, in movies very often playing this yuppie. Um it's like akin to American Psycho, which came years later, mm-hmm. but playing this yuppie who he's a literary agent. Um, he just, you know, does cocaine, alcohol, one night stands, goes out every night. Um, but he, he experiences something with one of his one night stands where he believes that she bit his neck and now he's becoming a vampire. Mm-hmm. And he just is so nuts in the performance. You can't look away. And I know one of the most famous scenes it's in the meme, all the memes you see is um, him screaming the alphabet at his psychiatrist mm-hmm. um, because he's so, he's so angry at one of his, uh, you know, somebody, one of his subordinates um, who he, he's tasked with finding this file this file from years ago that he can't find. And, <laughs> and the psychiatrist goes, well, what if it was just misfiled? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, how can you misfile something? It's all alphabetical. <laughs> and then he runs through the alphabet. He's like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, you know, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, Y. I don't know. I, I probably got the alphabet wrong there. Yeah. Um, but like, it's just so nut. And she's just like saying to him, she, just the look on the psychiatrist's face. Is, it's, it's terrific. Cause he's just playing it so over the top and then she's so straight. Mm-hmm. And apparently the movie was intended to be like a dark comedy, but at the time, nobody really, I think got that. They just said, this guy's, like lost it he's just like having fun with this movie and and losing the center of the movie um but i thought i thought he was terrific as peter lowe Mm -hmm. um and it's sort of it's it's interesting because he was good friends with jim carrey um and they're both in peggy sue got married together Mm -hmm. and i think it's kind of a precursor to some of the stuff jim carrey did like he might have been inspired by jim carrey's stand-up comedy right but then jim carrey was doing similar stuff in you know in ace ventura and the mask very similar and just playing to the back of the audience basically in a in a movie which is so strange <laughs> um, and also he eats a live cockroach in the movie too mm-hmm. and he fought to eat the cockroach so he's so method in that and he has said that it is his favorite film that he made mm-hmm. um which is just wild as well. 
Uh, so I definitely recommend anybody to watch that. It's, I think it's on, probably you can catch it on like Tubi, maybe with like some ads, or it might be on some other streaming services, but just, just wild. And mm-hmm. like at one point, he's not getting the fangs that a vampires would get, but he's convinced he's a vampire. He can't see his reflection. So he goes to a store and buys these plastic fangs and he wears them for like the last 10, 20 minutes of the movie. And it's just outrageous. So I think it really built on what he became in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of his over the top performances. I think that was the precursor to it. So Mm -hmm. I would say check out Vampire's Kiss if you haven't seen it or if you've only seen the clips online (laughs) for it. Yeah. Because it is on Tubi, so it. Uh, I just looked it up, so you can you can find it on Tubi and uh, rage the cage out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those are good choices. I with my list, I was like trying to think about movies where there's added having cage has added value, and Vampire's Kiss was something I was considering because. Um, Apparently, Dennis Quaid was originally supposed to be cast in that part, and I don't understand how you get that movie with Dennis Quaid being all Dennis Quaid. But um, so, one of, I actually chose a uh, a vocal performance for my first pick. Uh, Nicholas Cage played Spider Man Noir in Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. He is not one of the oh. main Spider Man characters in that movie, and there are a lot of Spider Man characters. There's the Miles Morales. Uh, Peter B. Parker. Uh, there's the Penny Parker, who's the anime character. Spider Ham, who's the the talking pig. But then you get this Spider Man noir character, who is um, based on a. I think it was in the 2000. Sometimes they came out with a a noir version of the Marvel universe for a couple of different characters. One of them was Spider Man. So he's essentially Spider Man in an all black costume that comes with a trench coat and a hat. Um, and he's you know busting up crime in the Great Depression. And all the Spider-Man characters are sort of reoriented to reflect that time period. But Nicolas Cage uh, does the voice. Uh, it is very distinctively his voice. He's not playing it over the top, though. He is playing it very, very subtle, um, saying lines. Uh, he appears in the Aunt May's basement where all the spider people are gathering. And uh, someone remarks how there's a wind, even though there's the basement. And he's like, the wind follows me. And it smells like rain and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's so perfect and you know there's a line how are the, you know they're talking about their lives as spider-man he's like sometimes i just light the match and let it burn down to my fingertips and it's <laughs> it's so dark it's kind of depressing but it's also kind of uplifting as well that you have this uh this spider-man who is is part of this like dark depressing world in the midst of all these like like, colorful goings on and multiversal stuff and um it it doesn't overshadow everything you know he fits right in with the whole spider-man gang in that movie and um it's just it's such a pleasure because um nick cage is uh well known as a comic book fan so he um i think he also owned a a copy of action comics number one at some point. So it's, it's interesting to see him sort of turn up in these roles, um, especially since, you know, he was supposed to play Superman at one point um, in a Tim Burton movie that was in the late nineties. There's a whole documentary about how that didn't happen. And it's, it's a, uh, 
I think it's called the, if I remember correctly, the death of Superman lives, what happened, which uh, John Schnepp directed. Um, it's, and it's really fascinating. I don't, I can't remember if he gets a chance to talk to Nick Cage in it or not, but it is fascinating to see Nick Cage dressed up in a <laughs> Superman costume. Um, and, you know, I, one gets the impression that was probably a hard hit for him to take um, losing that, you know, for to have that movie fall apart, but he managed to enjoy um, a number of comic book performances um, at least so much in sort of, Oh, well, actually both in real life and voice roles. Cause he's done, uh, he was big daddy in kick-ass. He was uh ghost writer and ghost writer in a couple of movies, really chewing the scenery up. And that second one, which is, uh, which was directed by Neville Dean and Taylor, but um I have I have a special place for Spider-Man Noir and and Nick Cage's rendering in in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's just uh, it, it's 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 probably him at his most perfect, just in terms of like the vocal intonations, not really drawing attention himself. He's just there, and it feels perfect. So that's great. Yeah, I love that movie. I didn't really think back to him being in it. I yeah, probably rewatch it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like he like there's some great spider-man noir one-liners and that so yeah um <laughs> what's your what's your number oh technically your number three since you're cheating but <laughs> your number two <laughs> well adam i'm i'm glad we're doing uh, nick cage movies because it gives us a chance for you to do your perfect spot-on impression of nick cage so i'm quite quite amused by it so far um uh yeah my number two so i yeah, I picked it number two because I don't have a whole lot to say except it, it's a great performance. It is mm-hmm. um, in a depressing movie, mm-hmm. Leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, he won the Oscar for it, probably deserved. Um, plays Ben Sanderson, an alcoholic Hollywood screenwriter who loses his job, family and friends, really cheerful stuff. Um, so he heads to Las Vegas and there he almost, I think with his car, he almost hits. Um, Sarah, uh, which is played by who's uh, played by Elizabeth Shue, and mm-hmm. it's it, it's a great real two-hander. I would say they're both excellent performances, and he does a great job. Yeah, playing more natural mm-hmm. than especially the movies that I mentioned before. More natural than that, but there still are some comedic, really dark comedic undertones to it, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, he just goes method again, just playing this alcoholic who just can't get his life together. Um, based on a real book written by someone in that state who unfortunately um, didn't last much. I don't mm-hmm. think he even lasted to see the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty wild. Uh, like his method in it, like I read some trivia on it that he hired a drinking coach to binge drink. And then he he had them film him while he was inebriated so he could see what he was acting like. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah. It's a depressing movie. It's probably not one you want to watch, you know, for (laughs) entertainment purposes necessarily, but he does a great job, great job and very naturalistic. And so that's my number two leaving Las Vegas. Okay. For my number two, uh, again, looking for underappreciated cage in maybe movies that aren't so great. Uh, I went back to 1998 um, and this is like after he started becoming an action 
movie star after leaving Las Vegas. So at this point, he's done The Rock. He's done Con Air. He's done Face Off. And in 1998, he did Snake Eyes, which is directed by Brian De Palma. And it is a a sort of conspiracy thriller. It takes place all in one night at this uh, heavyweight boxing match in Atlantic City. The Secretary of Defense is there and uh, is assassinated after the first round. And uh, Nick Cage plays Rick Santoro, which is a great Nick Cage name uh, because he gets walk around going, I'm Rick Santoro. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he's a, a very obviously corrupt AC cop who finds himself in the midst of this uh, this conspiracy, and uh, he first sees it as an opportunity to uh, elevate his his status and his image. Like he's going to be the guy who's going to solve the case of the assassination of the Secretary of Defense. But when he realizes like the sheer breadth of and, and depth of the conspiracy, and uh, perhaps even the role of his good friend played by Gary Sinise in it, um, it. it it's, it's about how a morally ambiguous character is, is sort of have has the greater sort of systemic moral ambiguity of like weapons contractors faking results and whistleblowers. And it, it's, it's all kind of rubbed in his face, a small time, small guys, crooked cop um, thinks he's going to be big time. And, and, you know, it's, 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 you know, he sees kind of this dark reflection of his own corruption. Not that the movie really gets into that too much because a lot of it is just sort of visual flair. And De Palma starts the thing with like just the first 20 minutes is him following Santoro around as he's walking around the, 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 the ring and the, the, the attached casino. And it's a chance for De Palma to show how t- technically sophisticated he is as a filmmaker by doing this sort of one long continuous shot along this massive set. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's not perhaps well regarded. It's not uh, as, a, as a film, but it is uh, sort of Nicolas Cage going back to I was going to say first principles, but you know, it, it Rick Santoro is not an action character. Um, and indeed he does get his ass kicked through the course of the movie. So <laughs> it's, it's not like one of these like bulky roles he was taking on at the time where, you know, he's f- doing backflips while firing guns, like in face off or, you know, running, running through a gauntlet of hellfire, like in, <laughs> in con air. It's, it really is kind of like a blending of the two Nicholas cage worlds. And, and it's, he's, he's so great to watch in it as he's trying to walk the straight and narrow as as, a, as like a terribly bottom basement corrupt cop it's it's kind of wonderful yeah that's uh that's a really interesting movie very the visuals are really good like you were saying in that mm-hmm. opening tracking shot really mm-hmm. strong brian de palma i know he did yeah. femme, Fat- femme fatale around the same time they're kind of similar yeah. where kind of style over substance but yeah. that can be a lot of fun right so yeah it's fun yeah. it's it's a good it's a good uh it's a good hangover movie um all right so that brings us to our last picks okay my number one pick is adaptation mm-hmm. um from 2002 uh written by charlie kaufman where nicholas cage actually plays charlie kaufman mm-hmm. or a version of him um hired to write a screenplay adaptation of susan orlean's the orchid thief mm-hmm. um but he struggles uh because he, he he finds it it'd be impossible to film. Um, he doesn't know how he's going to adapt it. Suffers from writer's block. And 
Nicholas Cage can be, like you said, the alpha male. You think movies like Con Air mm-hmm. and The Rock. Um, in this, he's like the beta male, which is interesting <laughs> to watch. Um, at least that's what the lead character is. Um, Charlie, um, he has anxiety. He, he social phobia. He doesn't doesn't want to go outside. He's not comfortable at parties. Mm-hmm. Um, he's part of this entertainment world, but really an introvert who um, is full of self doubt. And then there's his uh, Nicholas Cage plays twins in this, so he plays. Charlie Kaufman's fictional brother, Donald, mm-hmm. who's more of the alpha type outgoing schmoozes at parties. Um, you know, he uh, goes to some screenwriting conferences, learns the formula for an ex- uh, effective screenplay. <laughs> and, and then he can tell he sells a screenplay for like six or seven figures um, called the three, which is like some, typical sort of action pseudo action film Mm -hmm. um and so charlie's jealous of this jealous of donald's romances so it's interesting seeing it from that perspective because really it's not in in reality it wouldn't be his um brother right it's more probably more of an alter ego or um someone he wishes he was like and Mm -hmm. and cage does an excellent job uh, altering between those two um, between the guy full of self-doubt and sort of the uber-confident, um, which sort of a microcosm of his career in a way too, right? Like he mm-hmm. plays these really vulnerable roles and then he plays these alpha males. So mm-hmm. I thought just an excellent film. Um, it might be my favorite Charlie Kaufman <laughs> uh, written film. And uh, he's excellent. And he played... And it really sh- he shows his acting chops because the ensemble in it, you have Meryl Streep playing Susan Orlean. Um, Chris Cooper plays John LaRouche, the orchid ceiling protagonist of Orlean's book. Mm-hmm. And then Brian Cox is the screenwriting guru. It's actually based on a real person, Robert McKee. Mm-hmm. And, and he plays well off of all of these, all of these people. And, you know, the more alpha the other person is, the more introverted or, you know, beta he gets. And, um, yeah, I just I think it's an excellent, excellent movie and it really shows his acting chops. And I think it has inspired other things in his work, maybe even the movie we're reviewing mm-hmm. on this episode. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's timeless. And to me, of what I've seen, because I haven't seen all his movies, um, <laughs> it's the best performance um, I've seen Nicolas Cage accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting because it does. It, it's it's such a commentary uh, Kaufman's making about himself. It's coming off of um, being John Malkovich, and which was a huge hit. And this this guy who thought he was writing this like cute little introspective movie about you know being John Malkovich and uh, you know this kind of sort of like deep psychological fantasy and it becomes a big Hollywood thing and he's thrust into the spotlight. And so he's clearly reckoning with like his own anxieties about being a famous screenwriter. It's, it's kind of hilarious. Um, so my number one is uh, a Werner Herzog film, bad Lieutenant port of call, new Orleans. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if it was like supposed to be a remake of like the Harvey Keitel bad Lieutenant, but it's, just, it's, it's like no other cop film you have, will ever see where nick cage plays uh a a uh a new orleans police officer 
named Terrence McDonough, who is drugged up, hopelessly corrupt, hopelessly um, sort of just inadequate to the job. He, but he, he's, I don't know if it's Werner Herzog like commenting on policing generally, but just you know, like this coked up whack job somehow is like falling, failing upwards at the New Orleans Police Department. Um, he's investigating this case of a, of an immigrant family from, I believe they're from Senegal who are murdered. Um, but he's, you know, on 70 different types of drugs. Um, he's trying to ev- evade, you know, corruption charges and he's trying to um, stay one step ahead of probably his own massive IA file. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he just does, he just acts, he doesn't care. Uh, there's a probably the most iconic scene where he goes to see the, um, the mother of, uh, of a witness who's the nurse of a this sort of like classically Southern rich old lady. And they come into the room and uh, you see the door close over and he's just standing behind the door, shaving, waiting for them. He has a little, a little mini uh, electric razor, right? He's running it over his face as he starts this <laughs> bizarre interrogation. Um, it, it's just, it's so crazy. And then there's a scene um, whether they have a they have a, a drug dealer under surveillance, and he comes in and he's like, "What's the, what's the deal with the iguanas on the table?" <laughs> and his partner Val Kilmer is like, "There's no iguanas on the table." He's like, "There's iguanas on the table." <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 there's this like minute long sequence of some blues song playing as he's trying to ignore these iguanas that are on his table that apparently only he can see, and it's like this fish eyed lens of the iguanas looking up at cage. It is just such a bizarre sequence. Um, and it's, it's such, I don't know. It, it, it really is the alchemy. It's like, it's Herzog's vision with this. It's cages presence. It's how incredibly random the script feels. Like, it feels like, what are we going to shoot today? Uh, how about, you know, he sees some iguanas on the table as they're surveilling a drug dealer. <laughs> How about he goes to this this uh, drug dealer played by Exhibit, and he decides he's going to work for as the police informant for this drug dealer, so he can get money, so he can pay off all this this guy who's you know after his his father's debts, and it just it's 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 so random, and it ends um, again with him essentially succeeding. He does his partner proposes that they get rid of the drug dealer, essentially kill him. And he's, and, and Nick Cage is uh, McDonough character arrests him instead. And he gets promoted to captain. Um, and he's still high as a kite. And it's, it's, uh, I have no, I, I have no idea what Herzog's <laughs> trying to say with this film, <laughs> but I remember seeing it at the, I think it was the 2009 Toronto film festival. And it was beautiful. Then it is beautiful now. And it, and it is too good for this world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's maybe my it's maybe my favorite Nicolas Cage movie of all time. Yeah, it's uh it's a it's a wild one. And the the original um Bad Lieutenant was so crazy too with Harvey Keitel. It was like You're smoking right. crack, running around naked, um yeah, doing cocaine while he's placing bets on baseball games that he has no business doing. And this um, is even crazier. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Nicolas Cage, the iguana scene. Yeah, that's a really good scene. I remember that. Yeah, he's just so, yeah, they, 
it was yeah a perfect movie for him because they want to be so random to follow mm-hmm. up on the original and make it even stranger mm-hmm. and yeah good All choice right. thank you and we will see if he can top the strange in the unbearable weight of massive talent which is what we will review coming up next you are listening to end credits here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio and now our grandmother son can go supernova and reduce us down to our particles to pass us on over here Run out there, you get the truck, you come back and get me, I will keep a lookout. Uh-huh. Love it. Love the plan. But maybe you should go, and I'll stay here. And I love that plan. I do. But you are a faster runner than me. I saw how fast you were in National Treasure. No, that'd be the stunt department. Not according to the making of featurette. Fine, I'll go. Wait! So you're gonna go? I'm going with you. And that was a clip from The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It is the new film from writer-director... Tom Gormican, and it stars Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Sharon Hogan, Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, Lily Shane, and Neil Patrick Harris rounding out the cast. And uh, so I, I think this has sort of been on my radar for a while. I wasn't able to get to theaters to see it, unfortunately. Uh, it is Nick Cage playing Nick Cage and then playing an, an alternative sort of inner inner monologue Nick Cage that uh, I guess, I don't know if they did the whole um, putting him through the computer to make him look younger. If they just put him in a bad wig and figured, well, this looks like a 90s hairstyle. It looked Um, like they, it looked like they de-aged him. Yeah. Yeah. They might've, yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know if like the bushy eyebrows, like they really bushified his eyebrows to, to like that late, not late eighties, early nineties, Nicholas Cage look, but um They'll, I guess uh, the, the filmmakers here will keep their secret, but why don't you kick us off, Tim, by talking about your thoughts, uh, your initial thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah, my initial thoughts, I, I like you wanted to see it for a little while, um, chose a few movies over it since it was mm-hmm. out, like The Northman and uh, Top Gun. And I was <laughs> like, I really was psyched about seeing it. Cause it's like Nick cage playing Nick cage. So it's like, wow, this is going to be pretty wild. It's getting really good reviews. Everybody's saying it's hilarious. So it was still on my radar. Saw that, you know, it is, you know, available video on demand. Mm-hmm. So decided to go with it, see what it was all about. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was a hilarious, hilarious film. Um, kind of like adaptation before instead of him playing Charlie Kaufman, he's playing himself, but playing <laughs> a couple different versions or sort of the down and he's playing like a down and out present day. Um, Nicholas Cage, who has all these familial problems and his career, it's not really where he wants it to be. He just lost out on this big role where he'd memorized this crazy monologue and mm-hmm. set it back to the uh, 
producer. (laughs) 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 He said, I'm going to say this to you right now. Yeah. Like in the middle of the street. He's like, the producer's like, holy crap, (laughs) what's going on here? (laughs) Um, And so he's, and he embarrasses his daughter at her birthday party because he's so, you know, so down on himself for losing this role. He's drunk and he's mm-hmm. playing the piano poorly, making up songs. Um, and so then, yeah, so it, so then he's like desperate for something. And along comes his agent, played by Neil Patrick Harris, mm-hmm. who does a great job playing a smarmy agent. Seems like a good role for him to say <laughs> there's a million dollar offer here to go to this guy's birthday party, this billionaire down in Mallorca, Spain. And uh, yeah, so it's it, that premise alone, I think, just really drew me in. And and then he goes and I think the um, his co-star, Pedro Pascal, mm-hmm. is is awesome in this. Just playing somebody who's just like a fan, this you know, naive, he's a naive billionaire who just, you know, wants to, um, wants to have his screenplay produced and star his hero, (laughs) Nicolas Cage, right? (laughs) Like the super fan. And I think he's excellent in that role. Um, The scene where they go in his like mausoleum to Nicolas Cage with the, (laughs) (laughs) with all the artifacts and the, you know, the, wax figure from face off with the golden guns and yeah it's 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 hilarious um and it kind of it you know it uses that sort of it's sort of like the meta formula something Mm -hmm. like sort of from adaptation where okay i'm gonna make a movie about plants you can't just make a movie about plants there has to be action so in this one it starts off really inside nicholas cage's head about these movies he likes these really arty movies Mm -hmm. and you know cabinet of dr caligari and there's all these references to that and, but then it's like no this has to turn into an action movie and it, and then predictably it does and i think it's a <laughs> lot of fun when it turns into that action movie um so i i think it's just like a great sort of popcorn movie a lot of fun um nicholas cage playing with his persona which he can because it's out there so much now and all the memes on the internet and everybody mm-hmm knows you know this over-the-top Nicolas Cage persona so good for him for for you know playing with that and I thought that was a lot of fun the the whole movie you know obviously a lot of it's predictable but you you go with it you 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 love it just because it's just wild Nick Cage Mm -hmm. and um Pedro Pascal I think like I said excellent in that the dual lead role Mm mm-hmm I think, I think Pedro Pascal is almost like the real star of this, um, and and the, he's he's got some real comedic chops. Uh, he's kind of been cast as, I guess, between Game of Thrones and The Mandalorian, and uh, you know, Wonder Woman and the Equalizer. Like he's as this kind of like actiony guy, but I think like Chris Hemsworth, there's like a comedian in there. Um, really you know handsome man of action who wants to just be like a a, like a funny guy like um he was easily if not the best part of the bubble uh the the judd apatow movie about making a a blockbuster in pandemic conditions He, he he if he wasn't the best part he was definitely one of the best parts and there's this great scene in it where he um 
hallucinates falling in love with uh, the. It, it, he has this mirror-like workout device where it's uh, the, the the instructor is um, a woman who looks like Daisy Ridley, and he pictures he, he hallucinates himself falling in love with her and her falling in love with him, and it's just it's it's crazy. And uh, he's just so gonzo for it. And yeah, there's this really great scene where they get high in LSD talking about their screenplay and they think they're, uh, this is in unbearable weight of massive talent, not the bubble, but uh, him and Nick Cage are, they, they think they're being spied on, which of course they are, they're under surveillance yeah. by the FBI as Nick Cage knows and, and Pedro Pascal doesn't, but um, you know, they think they're being watched by these two people eating ice cream nearby <laughs> and he does this and Nick Cage tells him to, to like look around while doing this fake laugh and it's like the, the, the fakeness of the laugh is tortuous <laughs> but it's so great and the look on his face as he's doing this fake laugh is brilliant and then they try to escape and um, there's a sequence where uh, they, they climb a wall and uh, it, it plays like straight out of a Nick Cage action movie it is um, so brilliant I again I I I enjoyed this film. I thought it was entertaining. There's definitely a lot of funny bits in it. I, I think everybody's game. Um, but I think it, it, they're just, it, I feel like the movie isn't quite up to the joke it's trying to make, if that makes sense. There's yeah. like the whole thing. First of all, I, I saw somebody point this out online. Uh, this movie ends the exact same way that Austin Powers and Goldmember does, which is not great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that and I was like, oh my God, it does. It totally does. Where it, it segues from the movie to the movie within the movie. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. The it, player, it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it, it's it, what struck me in that moment is like, it's so weird. It's like the, the movie within the movie looks exactly like the movie. And. Yeah. So that doesn't quite, you know, work for me after, like after watching Elvis last week, which also ends with the the movie Elvis, um, basically becoming like the archival footage of Elvis, um, where you kind of get that smoothly, where you can it kind of makes you wonder, did that just happen, or and it, and you realize, oh, it did just happen. We have transitioned from the movie Elvis to the archival Elvis, and it just it, it doesn't it doesn't quite flow as well that, you know, you get this, this Nicholas Cage meta comedy, meta action comedy that looks like they just made it straight. Like a Nicholas Cage movie. Like a, if it was like Michael Bay making Nicholas Cage in the unbearable weight of massive talent, which it just, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite get me there as, as yeah. terms of like a, a, a structural narrative piece. Like I think the individual pieces are really fun. Again, Cage and Pascal are fun together. Um, and I like um, I like the idea of this a lot, and I think the uh, Sharon Hogan who plays his move in his his ex wife in the movie um, is really good. But then you also get like, if I were to close my eyes and think, if I'm making a movie a meta comedy starring Nick Cage, who else would I cast? Neil Patrick Harris as his agent? Yeah, that makes sense. How, we need a couple of FBI agents. Who can they be? Uh, how about Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz? That you know, it just it just yeah. seems like it was cast from like a who's hot right now perspective instead of you know getting people who might be able to fit the world better. It just mm-hmm. some of it feels kind of lazy, and, and some of it feels you know they, they, like they were really onto something, and it like the movie just never quite gels for me. Um, even even though I do. I do like it. 
yeah and and like yeah there's moments definitely they're predictable like yeah i didn't feel like he was like javi is as bad as people are saying he is or anything like that you know it wasn't you know it wasn't but yeah i thought i thought just for just all in good fun really enjoyed it um yeah probably could have been better probably could have explored Nicolas cage's worlds a little more you know yeah. like it uh, definitely like almost subconsciously does like maybe they knew like he talks to a psychiatrist and i think back to like vampire's kiss which we're talking about <laughs> right but maybe he could have gone <laughs> off you know like just <laughs> add those elements just go full bore like if this is about nick cage because it's more about nick cage persona right like you mm-hmm. you know his family life probably is nothing like what they're showing but um if you're going you know, just based on his performances yeah well, go in, even crazier i'd say in certain aspects. in real life he's been married like five times so yeah. it's you know it's it's kind of <laughs> funny to me he has an ex-wife um with a child uh well he has two children in real wasn't life, he I married think. for like four days or something too that was like a couple years ago yeah, yeah yeah this uh this woman named erica koki um i mean he anyway like they could have yeah. you know i wonder if they could have like lured in patricia arquette to play as in movie ex-wife as as well as how she's as she was his yeah. first wife in real life i yeah there's like there's some of this it's like they want to make fun of the nick cage persona but they kind of don't um there's the the scene that you're talking about where they go to like to his obvious uh nicholas cage uh monument and he's he's looking at this like wax statue of his of himself and face off holding the, the golden guns and he's like it's hideous and just i can't stop looking at it. and then he offers <laughs> he offers having twenty thousand dollars to buy it which, yeah. it which is just so off the cuff but it's also you know he's he's kind of a spendthrift nicholas cage which is why he's got into financial difficulty a few years ago yeah. um just like little stuff like that which which, which makes it enjoyable um and you're right, like the whole thing, the whole subplot about Javi, the FBI thinking he's like this international gangster. I just, it's, it's never remotely believable um, because we, we spend time with Javi um, before we kind of get into his supposed list of crimes. So it, it's automatically like, this this guy? <laughs> this guy's like <laughs> kidnapping a president's daughter so he can like team up with another Spanish gangster so they can have him throw the election so they can have a more corruptible president in charge. Doesn't seem likely this guy who's like dropping acid on the beach with Nick cage and they're acting out movie scenes and jumping off cliffs. It's, eh, I think we've passed the point where we're going to believe Javi's uh, Kaiser. So say, but in real life, in real life, you probably, you might be able to, cause like people, you know, hide things. Right. But it wouldn't wouldn't have worked in the movie, I don't think, right? To like yeah. for him to be that, then that would have been like, what? Yeah. I thought this was a fun comedy, not something dark. Yeah, it was like narcos th- or something, you know. Like, and I think it's like bristling with that, you know. It's it's you know thinking about like good action comedies like Lethal Weapon, it it doesn't pretend that things aren't dark. Um, 
you know, and a lot of the comedy in, in those movies come from the fact that, you know, the Mel Gibson character is just like so self-destructive um, that he'll just like walk into a hostage situation without a, a bulletproof vest. And mm-hmm. um, so the, the movie is kind of like, it wants this kind of like sanitary, like it's, it's a Nick Cage movie and everybody's like kind of relatively safe while trying to say like, Oh no, these, these characters are like, we'll, we'll like got you like a fish. And it, it, it's, 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 it, it just, it, it's really hard to walk that line. And I, I'm not sure they, they entirely get the tone right. And, and by the time it becomes a full born Nick Cage action movie, it's, it, he seems, <laughs> Nicholas Cage seems very comfortable in like these action sequences where hypothetically he shouldn't because he's an actor and not, you know, his, his characters. I, I feel yeah. like, like, like the car chase is a little you know he's a little too good expert at at you know driving in in a car chase um that's yeah that's i mean stuff like that it it just it 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 makes the movie feel off and i wish they just put a little bit more thought into like how would a guy who is an action star like act in this situation like is is he going to get behind the wheel and drive through this like gorgeous european city with with thin roads with like the precision of of jason Bourne, or is he you know probably gonna get like try to drive the car upstairs and like fail because real life isn't like a movie i i feel like that's that's where the the, this movie kind of lets things down it's it just it becomes a nick at, at some point it becomes a nick cage action movie instead of a commentary but a nick cage action movie yeah. What, one thing I found really hilarious, though, was that he thought he could like be a real asset to the CIA because of yeah. his act, because of his acting. <laughs> yeah, that was because of this method he's developed for his acting. <laughs> like it's like, yeah, this, and then you know, with the silly makeup at the end when he's disguised as like one of the <laughs> yeah. crime bosses. Yeah, <laughs> that stuff that was, is good. That stuff yeah. is good. Like the like the like hopelessly self deluded. Like I can work for the CIA. I'm retiring as an actor, so I'm going to work for the CIA now and bring as my, an actor, <laughs> and bring my acting experience. Yeah. And then the scene where he like douses himself with like this knockout gel, and they're trying to get him up and going. And, and then the Tiffany Haddish character yells into his earpiece, "Action!" And he wakes up. Uh, <laughs> it's like that stuff is really really good. Um, and I, it just, it feels like the, the the rest of the, sometimes they forget that they're not making a Nicolas Cage action movie. They're supposed to be making a send up of an action, Nicolas Cage action movie. And they yeah. ju- it, it, it just feels like they give up at one point. That's like, well, I think they get the message and it's like, well, no, you're, you've set a tone for this movie that you kind of need to carry through to its conclusion. But yeah, that's but, just, uh, yeah, it's fun though. I'd recommend it for a, I, a I watch. Would, I would recommend it. It's, it's, it's a fun movie. Um, you know, Nick, Nick Cage clearly isn't feeling the pressure in it. And pa- again, Pedro Pascal is, is like the, the I was going to say he's a real star, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that's a hundred percent fair, but he's really, him and Nick Cage together are really, really great foils for each other. They're really, really game. I just wish that um, this had been sort of like tonally a bit, you know, I was thinking a lot about while watching this JCVD, the, the, the sort of, 
quote unquote, true life Jean-Claude Van Damme and how, you know, it, it follows him in a very similar rut where he's, you know, in a career rut and he's trying to figure out what to do next. And he's in a custody battle with his ex-wife and, and he walks into this hostage situation where theoretically would be, you know, if it was a Van Damme movie, that's when he starts kicking ass. But <laughs> because he's, he's Jean-Claude Van Damme, an actor and not Jean-Claude Van Damme, international man of action. Um, it goes in a very different direction um, than you would think. And I, I just, uh, that's like, that's like the much better version of this concept. It's a little bit darker too. It's, it's not quite as like sort of ha ha comedic, mm-hmm. but um, you kind of have to undermine those expectations. And at some point the, you know, the unbearable weight of massive talent decides it's not going to undermine expectations. It's going to play into them. But again, Perfectly entertaining movie and uh, enjoyable for the whole family. It is a family movie in essence. So sure. <laughs> they reference Paddington two a lot. So um... Paddington two. Yeah. The, the filmmakers of Paddington two should get like some sort of residual from this. It, they, they do. <laughs> they do. They do get a shout out. I am also kind of surprised that Disney signed off on the, the use of like, footage from the rock and and con air which i believe are owned by are technically disney properties so um i guess that's revisiting sort of some of that um chip and dale rescue rangers where you know they kind of it's always surprising now when people sort of let liberal use of of their intellectual property and in, in unflat not 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 necessarily flattering versions of of those properties so shout out shout out to disney for being in on the joke i guess <laughs> disney altruistic disney thank altruistic you disney, that's <laughs> right <laughs> yeah no but it's i mean it, it clearly nick cage was having fun and um yeah it just you know as as a critic i would have liked to have seen a little bit more effort into in, in story-wise, but I mean, that's just a piece of entertainment. It's fine. It's good. It's good. It's good, clean Nick Cage fun. Definitely. Yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's definitely clean. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's uh. Also, also Crude's shout out too. I was just looking at the Nicolas Cage filmography, and it's like you, you know, you get a Crude's shout out. That's that's not yeah. too not too shabby. Anyway, yeah, it's kind of funny. The, yeah, the way they look at like what kind of movies people come up to these celebrity actors with. Oh, love yeah. you and Crude's too, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> that's that's pretty realistic, I'd imagine. People like everybody has their favorite. Anyway, yeah. we'll have to leave that there. Uh, we hope you liked uh, our show this week. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on our show. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at end credits radio and tim whereabouts can people find you on the internet flash in the deadpan on social media i actually downloaded the tiktok app oh really eventually i will do something on tiktok <laughs> and, the then next, 
<laughs> and then you'll follow the Peter Routing get banned from TikTok for unspecified reasons. Oh, did he get banned? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Peter doesn't talk about TikTok anymore. <laughs> yeah, by the time I'm on it, it'll it'll be a passing fad at that point. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will be back here on CFRU. Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm still on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU. 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits. And we will see you then. <laughs>